Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. I have been uh, going to the White House briefings, as you know, since... President Obama was elected. Uh, I started uh, in 2009, so I don't know, been to hundreds of briefings since then, uh, and watched a lot of them before that on television. I have, there, there has never been, and I've never seen, at least, a White House briefing like yesterday's, as contentious, as uh, almost ugly at parts, and almost broke out into an open brawl between the press secretary uh, and the reporters. And I'm telling you, uh, reporters across the board, mainstream, independent, conservative, liberal, Sean Spicer pissed us all off yesterday by just, first of all, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He walks into the room with a chip on his shoulder every day. And he lashes out at reporters uh, very often refuses to answer questions, or if he gets a tough question, he'll give some snotty answer and then jump to the next person. Uh, some of us were talking afterwards that what we've got to do, if we could ever get everybody to get on the same page, right, <laughs> is when he refuses to answer one question and jumps to the next person, that person should say, before I ask my question, you didn't answer her question, right, and just trap, uh, trap him on that. But he came, comes, came, there were two, two items in particular, where he got really nasty, really ugly. Uh, and one of them is on whether or not this immigration order is a ban or not. Well, he says, he insists, right, it is not a travel ban. Kristen Welker, great reporter from NBC, asked him about the ban. Here's Spicer. He says it's a ban. He's using the, the words that the media is using. But at the end of the day, it can't. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It can't be. It can't be. Jonathan, thanks. I'll, I'll let Kristen talk. It can't be a ban if you're letting a million people in. If 325,000 people from another country can't come in, that is by nature not a ban. So, but, so you hear what she's saying, and he won't, he won't acknowledge it. The president himself uses the word Ban. I don't know if we have any of those tweets, Peter, but he, he, uh, in his tweets, his own tweets over the weekend, Trump was over and over saying about his the travel ban. Just the, the travel ban. Just uh, earlier this week, if the ban were announced with one week notice, the bad would rush into our country that week. A right. lot of bad dudes out there. Yeah. That's just one of the times he's referred to it right. as a ban. Uh, Rudy Giuliani went uh, out yesterday, or the day before maybe it was, and said, the president told him he wanted to do a Muslim ban, Rudy Giuliani's words. That's what the president told him. And he said, he asked me how to do it legally. He wanted to do a Muslim ban legally. So the president is using the word ban. Sean Spicer giving reporters grief 
because they're using the president's own word. And, and then Spicer is accusing the media. Uh, they're saying, no, Trump is just using the word the media is using. No, 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 no. And nobody was going to take that yesterday from him. But he attacked the New York Times uh, and he attacked uh, he attacked the NBC News and then he attacked uh, the New York Times as well. Glenn Thrush there fighting back. And then he gets on to, uh, to Sally Yates and uh, the deputy attorney general whom Donald Trump fired because she refused to carry out what was um, what she believed to be uh, an illegal order. Um, J- Sean Spicer says it was nothing short of betrayal. You have a legally executed order. And the, the, the attorney general says, I'm not going to execute it. That truly, that clearly is a betrayal define of what she's supposed to define. I'm not going to define the word. Betrayal? <laughs> betrayal. Betrayal. That's, you know what that means? That, that means she's a traitor. No, she's not. She's a patriot. That's what Sally Yates is. When you, with the president says, I want you to do something that is on the face of it. And by the way, she is the acting attorney general. She is the one person in the administration, right, who is there, the attorney general is, and happens to be happened to be her at the time, who is there to give the ultimate word on what they believe to be, short of the Supreme Court, but in the administration, in the executive branch, the ultimate word on what is constitutional and what is legal. Period. And, exactly. <laughs> and... And her, it is true that one division of the Justice Department had reviewed this uh, pending order, and they said it was okay. They gave it the green light. She overruled them. Sean Spicer was kept pointing that out yesterday. Well, even one of her own offices said this was uh, reviewed and said it was okay. Yeah, but then it goes up to her. That's the way things work, right? You can have people in the White House who say something's okay, and the president says, no, I don't want to do it. In the, in the Justice Department, the top person is the attorney general. So he kept saying, how could she, how could she possibly do this after her own office uh, ruled otherwise? I shouted out at the, uh, at the press briefing. Maybe she disagreed with them. Obviously, she did disagree. She said their ruling, their their reading was wrong, and she said basic. She based a lot of her um, final decision on things that Donald Trump said, calling it a Muslim ban, and what Rudy Giuliani said that Trump told him he wanted to keep Muslims out but allow Christians in. And when she so, heard when that, he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up. He said, put a commission together. Show me the right way to do it legally. Yeah, there it is. Rudy Giuliani. So the idea of accusing her of betrayal. Oh, no, 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 no. She did the right thing. She's a true patriot. She's an American And, 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 and I mean, think about the word betrayal. Think yeah. about oh, yeah. what oh. they're saying. Right. Traitor. Do, do everything that the president says. Don't question it. Without question at all times or else. You'll get fired. This is it. I'll tell you, on that point, before we go on, just to, I, I am doing, I know, I know it may be a crowd thing, but I decided I've got to do it. I went out Sunday and I bought a, bought a copy, another copy of George Orwell's 1984. You're not the only one, by the way. I know. It's, yeah. it's like the number one bestseller now, right? It is. Do it. Read it. It oh, is man. scary. It's exactly Big Brother. It's exactly what we're living through 
And it's exactly the way the Trump administration, just that little exchange tells you. What they want us to do is just, we do, we say, we think exactly what Big Brother wants us to think, and we don't dare question it. And if we do, betrayal. Yeah. That's what it is. This month on the 23rd of February, if I'm correct, 25th, thank you. Democrats will be meeting uh, in Atlanta, the Democratic National Committee, to, to elect the next chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, we know that there have been uh, there are 11 mm-hmm. candidates, uh, and two or three of them have already been in studio with us. We are very pleased to welcome today one of the front runners, for sure, a former Labor Secretary and a good friend of the program, Tom Perez. In studio. Hey, Thomas, nice to see you. Great to be here, Bill. Mr. With Secretary. You Tom's a lot quicker. Tom's a lot quicker, <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, not that you have any power over this, but what was your reaction to uh, Donald Trump's nomination of Neil Gorsuch last night to the Well, it wasn't Court? a surprise. I mean, what did he say during the uh, campaign? I'm going to uh, use abortion rights as a litmus test. And uh, wh- what do you have here? You've got somebody who has said that. Uh, I mean, he's, he's very clear on where he is on uh, reproductive rights. I mean, this ju- this judge dissented from uh, a case in Utah involving you know, that those uh, BS allegations against Planned Parenthood, and then mm-hmm. the governor of Utah had uh, pulled their money, and they had to go to court, and they won an injunction. And who dissented in the uh, Tenth Circuit? It was Judge Gorsuch. So, yeah, I mean, I. I I, Donald Trump was very transparent. You know, Clarence Thomas is my idol uh, yeah. on the court, and I am going to uh, appoint somebody who doesn't support a woman's right to choose. Um, frankly, if if um, if if your number one issue as a listener is uh, you know clean air and clean water and climate change, uh, he has some very extreme positions on the ability of federal agencies to regulate in that space, and that that right. that should scare you as well. Yeah, even this Roberts Court. Upheld the EPA's uh, right, right, and to, to enforce the law. I mean, when, yeah. when when he says human life is fundamentally and inherently valuable, and that that intentional taking of human life by private persons is always wrong, that doesn't sound like there's a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, and Mitch McConnell said, "I don't want to change the ideological makeup of the court." That's what he's trying to do. He's this is. Uh, Justice Scalia uh, redo, yeah. uh, and that's that's not what the American people need. So, if you're a DNC chair, um, what is your message to Democrats? And what would your message to Democrats in Congress be when they're faced with this nomination nominee? Well, I think you got to use the tools in your toolbox. One of which is a filibuster. Period. Uh- yeah, uh, basically the same consideration they gave Mary Garland. Well, well, you know, the, the, I, yeah. I listened to some Republicans this morning talk about, we, we need nine justices on the court. Oh, oh, I, uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm touched by your newfound concern for uh, a full court. I mean, hypocrisy knows no bounds. It and, really. uh, you know, the, here, here's the bottom line. I mean, I, I've said this many times, Bill. Uh, people ask, how should we treat uh, uh, Donald Trump? You know, I think we should accord him the same courtesy that Mitch McConnell accorded to Barack Obama, which was none whatsoever. Amen. And uh, I, th- I think, frankly, that you know, perhaps one of the errors we made in the Obama administration with hindsight was that uh, we tried to work with folks for too long. 
Uh, and uh, we thought that in 2009, in the depths of the Great Recession, when the American people uh, were suffering at great lengths, when we had two wars to fight and, and bring to a conclusion, that, that maybe Republicans, during those circumstances, the most dire of, of certainly you know, our lifetime, would, would want to come together. And they didn't. And, uh, and, and, and so we, we have the consequences there. I mean, we couldn't get the, the, uh, the Recovery Act was, you know, if anything, we needed it to be more robust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the president, he could only get so much from, from the Republican Congress. So I, I think we have to I, I would love to go high when they go low. But the reality is right now uh, th- there is there's a, a, an unmitigated assault on the labor movement. There's a simultaneous assault on Planned Parenthood. Why are those two things going on at the same time? Because that's the non that's the organizing infrastructure of the progressive movement. If you can continue to go after mm-hmm. uh, labor unions and you continue Planned Parenthood, not only is one one in five women are using Planned Parenthood for health services, uh, but in addition, you know, Planned Parenthood, uh, they have great grassroots organizing to educate people, sure. uh, not simply about uh, reproductive health, mm-hmm. um, but about you know, their rights more broadly. And, and there's this unmitigated assault on, uh, on these basic foundations of organizing. And, and we've got to fight back. We can't, we, we, you know, we, we've got to uh, you know, bring very aggressive tools to, the, to this fight. Now, let's talk about the fight for DNC chair. What, sure. what, is, what is the state of the Democratic mm-hmm. Party today as you see it, and what's the remedy? Sure. Well, I think the Democratic Party, and I've said this in some of our campaign forums, you know, we're suffering from a crisis of relevance and a crisis of confidence. Uh, what happened uh, you know, in the run-up to uh, the primary last year, uh, you know, the, the absence of transparency, all of the things we know about created a crisis of confidence. And, and we need to make sure, because right now we're... This is a where were you moment. Confidence mean, you mean people don't believe in the party. Is that what? Well, you, pe- or, yeah, people. Or don't trust I mean, uh, people. There, there was no transparency. So when when you're not transparent, you you uh, undermine uh, trust. And and so we've got to rebuild that trust. We've got to. Our big tent is our biggest strength. Uh, and and the the good news for me, Bill, is I I think this the challenges that we confront are are very fixable. This is a turnaround job. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. You know, we've got to take the fight to Donald Trump. Uh, we've got to communicate clearly our progressive values of economic opportunity for all, economic security for all. This is not a a, a nation of oligarchs. It's a nation of, of people who, uh, when you work hard and play by the rules, the sky is the limit. Uh, the system isn't rigged against you. This is a nation in which we value our diversity. We don't divide people along racial or ethnic or uh, socioeconomic or or any other lines, we, we bring people together. Those are the values of the Democratic Party. So we need someone who can take the fight to Donald Trump. We need someone who can make sure that we have a Democratic Party in every single state in the territories that's functioning well. People always ask me, how do you bring the, how do you get the House back? Yeah. Um, well, w- when you get state houses back, you're going to get the federal, the U.S. House of Representatives back as well. And because we have not invested sufficiently in state parties. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, we, we saw the losses, uh, over 900 uh, uh, state legislative seats lost in the course of the last eight years. We can fix this when we invest 
in our infrastructure. We need to be fielding candidates from the from the school board to the Senate. We need to be supporting those efforts. Um, I, I, I talked to a party chair, uh, Bill, out in uh, Wyoming. Uh, she recruited something like 60 Democrats uh, to run for office in 2016, mm. called the DNC for help. And they told her, sorry, can't help you. I mean, uh, <laughs> the DNC, one of our yeah, core jobs has to be um, helping with both candidate recruitment and candidate training. We must, I want the, all the grassroots organizers around America, not all, but I want, I want us to have a core competency to create and support organizing. Because the reason we lost in so many places, Bill, is because we didn't make house calls. We've got to get out there and organize, organize, organize. We, we, you know, Mitt Romney got more votes than, um, uh, than Donald Trump in Wisconsin, but we lost Wisconsin because we didn't talk to people in Milwaukee. Uh, you can't just show up at a church every 4th October and call that an organizing strategy. And then we got clobbered in rural Wisconsin where Barack Obama was very competitive because we weren't organizing there. Mm-hmm. Data analytics is fine and it's important, but it can't supplant grassroots organizing. And that's what the party has to get back to. When we get back to our roots and talk to people, engage people, communicate our message of economic opportunity, we are the party of the people. We're not the party of of the oligarchs and the billionaires that are in Donald Trump's uh, cabinet. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. The roundtable here on the Supreme Court uh, with Elliot Mintzberg, Senior Fellow at the People for the American Way, and Sam Baker from the National Journal. Uh, Sam, any surprise with, with Gorsuch? Uh, no, certainly not. You know, recently everything had seemed to be pointing in his direction earlier in the process. Nobody really knew who the front runners were. Maybe some people thought William Pryor would have had a better shot. Um, he would have been a lot more, if you can believe this is possible, more controversial. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. no, I, I think Gorsuch is, mm-hmm. is um, uh, all things considered, a pretty safe pick uh, and not a surprising pick. Uh, and the other guy was Hamilton was a surprise from... Pittsburgh was that his last Hardeman. Name? Hardman. Hardman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who would have been similar, I think, to Gorsuch? They were sort of in the same. He would have been a little bit more outside the box, but still within it. Everybody on that list, Elliot, right? Twenty-one were all Scalia-type Republicans, correct? Uh, correct, and even more importantly, handpicked by the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, two extremely right-wing groups. And that alone tells you uh, something about all those folks, but looking at Gorsuch's record tells you even more. That's all I needed to hear, to think it's a bad idea. I mean, that's that's not an endorsement I wanted to hear. Yep. All right, having teased us about the taser, <laughs> you have to tell us that story. Well, this, or what this, decision this was, was that? This was, this was a case, um, uh, the Wilson case, where there was a, a young man who was fleeing from the police 
doing nothing violent, carrying actually a marijuana plant and violating department guidelines, a police officer shot him with a taser stun gun in the head and killed him. Ooh. And uh, and seems to me like excessive force seemed that way to the lower courts. Gorsuch wrote an opinion that said, no, it's not. The police officer cannot be held liable for that, which which is extremely troubling because one of the things we have to worry about, unfortunately, in the day of Trump is people abusing their authority. And this was an example of that, that Gorsuch just let go. Mm -hmm. I saw this morning, um, uh, Sam, that Gorsuch has never had to rule on the appellate court on same-sex marriage or abortion. Correct. So does that mean we know nothing about him in those two areas? We have some pretty good hints where he stands on abortion uh, from his decisions on contraception. He wrote the Hobby Lobby decision that then went up to the Supreme Court and became their Hobby Lobby ruling. Uh, and there's a lot of language in there that you know strongly suggests uh, that he would not be a, a friend of abortion rights. A lot of uh, pro-life activists were at the White House for the announcement last night, so they clearly see him as an ally. Um, and on same-sex marriage, I don't think he has addressed that per se. It'd be a big surprise if he felt any differently than Scalia. Yeah, I think that's right. I want to add one other yeah, case that, that I think is troubling. Uh, he dissented in a case where um, at, at issue was the decision of the Utah governor on his own to ban uh, funding for Planned Parenthood based on those fake videos that we all remember mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so well. Uh, so here's a situation where his own colleagues are saying this executive authority went too far, clearly in the area of reproductive health, among others, and he, again, sides with the chief executive and says, okay with me. Uh, in, particularly in this day and age of Trump, these are decisions with respect to abuse of authority that are extremely troubling. And frankly, he fits very well, as you suggested, uh, Scalia's mold. Indeed, in some respects, he is further to the right than Scalia was. Well, he, he and he, I mean, he talks about Scalia, right, as his role model, Absolutely. right, as his hero, if you will. Uh, in the law. I mentioned this earlier. I, I, I read somewhere where he talked about when he got the news of he was skiing when he heard Scalia died and he could barely make it down to the bottom of the hill because he was crying so badly and you know, tears just blocking his vision coming down the hill, which I thought was rather bizarre. But at any rate, um, so he says that like Scalia, he's an originalist. What's that mean, Elliot? Well, in theory, what it means is that you attempt to interpret the Constitution in, in line with its original intent. But as we've seen for many years, Scalia himself being a very good example, the notion of original intent can easily be abused because, after all, there were multiple people who were framers of the Constitution, and they meant some of them different things. Uh, one of the best examples of this was the dispute between uh, between Scalia and Souter on the issue of government-sponsored school prayer. Scalia said original intent says that's okay. Well, Souter did an equally good job of researching the history and found that there was very strong indication that the framers' original intent was not to have the government endorsing religion the way they were well, in that graduation. It seems to me if you read Madison and Jefferson, you, that's, that's pretty easily ascertained. 
right? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And that's the problem because original intent essentially masks an ideological judge in, in the cloak of, uh, of, oh, I'm just doing what the framers wanted me to do, when in fact what it allows is to let their policy preferences come through. And that's exactly yeah. what Gorsuch has done so far and will be much worse if he gets to the Supreme Court. Well, Sam, I've had the chance to interview both Scalia and, Bri- and Judge Breyer, uh, Justice Breyer, right. on this issue. I mean, it, 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 it's hard to deny that the, Const- the strength, isn't it? The strength of the Constitution is that it is a living document, right, and has evolved uh, as in its inter- people have interpreted it to fit today as well as the 18th century. Yeah, and the two of them sort of got into it a little bit oh, in some yeah. of their panel discussions about that very question. I mean, <coughs> one of the big cases of the current term was a dispute over the design of the iPhone. I think I was here when we talked about it. Oh, yeah. Like the patents on the design of the icons around the iPhone and whether that's the reason people bought iPhones, That's there's no originalist way to answer that question. It's They couldn't have conceived like the 30 generations of technology that preceded the iPhone. So, you know, it's a it's a strategy that has its limits. But and what it's is, particularly, I'm sorry. sorry. No, Go I'm ahead. just going to say no. it's particularly troubling when it comes to the Constitution. The Constitution deliberately was written in broad terms, guaranteeing due process of law, equal protection of the law. Of course, that's going to vary with the circumstances. Of course, it's going to be different in the 21st century than it was in the 18th to the 17th century. And that's what the originalist view conveniently neglects. All right. So we had the big rollout last night, and now um, it goes up to the uh, Senate. Um, what do you What do you see? What do you expect? Uh, and walk us through the process, Sam. How many votes does he need? How does he get them? Uh, right now, he would need he will need to get out of the Judiciary Committee, which shouldn't be a problem. Then it's sixty votes to have a vote on confirmation, and then fifty votes to actually confirm. And, him. and is that because the filibuster reform does not include? Uh, Supreme Court nominees. Correct. correct? When okay. Harry Reid changed the rules, he right. left the 60-vote okay. threshold for... So 60 necessary to get a vote on the floor and yes. 60 to get off the floor. Uh, 50 to get off the floor. Oh, 50. Okay, yeah. six, but 60 to have the vote. Yes. Okay. Right. And how many votes do Republicans have going in? Uh, 52 seats, right? I don't, I don't think he'll lose a single Republican. Uh, he's... It's sort of a hard circle to square or square to circle, but uh, (laughs) he appeals to pretty much the whole Republican Party. You know, the establishment people who maybe weren't wild about Trump love him. Trump obviously has gotten behind him. Um, So I think he'll have a very easy time with Republicans. Whether any Democrats decide to go along, we're still sort of figuring out. I think Joe Manchin, who is facing a tough race in two years, came out last night and said he would not join a filibuster. Um, I, this can play out one of two ways, both of which end with Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Either Democrats can uh, support him and they can actually get to 60 votes, or Democrats can withhold their votes and Mitch McConnell can change the rules and change it to 50 votes. The and then so-called nuclear option. Exactly. How do you read it? Well, well, I would reckon a, in a couple of ways. So you think he ends up on the court one way yes. or the other? Yes. I hope not. I mean, first of all, 
I hope there would be some Republicans, for example, Susan Collins, who would feel very differently about this lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court than than confirming President Trump's nominees. And we're certainly going to try to contact uh, Republicans as well as Democrats. Uh, Second, uh, as Senator Schumer pointed out last night, it has usually been accepted that Supreme Court nominees have to meet a 60-vote threshold. After all, that's what happened with both of President Obama's nominees, with John Roberts, with Anthony Kennedy. Uh, and, and so I don't think it's unreasonable at all to say that he should be able to get 60 votes. Will, the Democrat, will there be enough Democrats who go along? There may be a few. But I think we're very hopeful that Democrats will stand firm and that we can pick up a few Republican votes. Now, with respect to the rules change, that's possible. You never can tell. But people like John McCain have already said it's very troubling to change those rules. And they need 51 votes to do that. And I don't so Mitch McConnell cannot do it by executive decree. No, if no, you no, he, no. Would, he needs 50 votes to change the rules. Right. Yeah. He's, and and and. As, as was just said, the Republicans only have 52. So peel off a John McCain, a Susan Collins, a couple of others, and we're back in the situation that we were in before. So we're hopeful that when they look carefully at his record, even some Republicans will realize what a danger uh, Gorsuch would be. And, and we are also hopeful that if necessary, uh, he can be held to the 60-vote threshold, which we're extremely optimistic the Democrats won't let him cross. A lot of action at the White House and a lot of action in response to what's happening at the White House on Capitol Hill. Um, We love the fact that we're located on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol. So every once in a while, we are lucky enough to snag a member of Congress on the way to work, uh, as we did today with uh, Congressman Ted Lieu from California's 33rd Congressional District. Just happened to see him walking by and invited him in. Hey, Congressman, it's nice to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Happy New Year. You have, uh, I know it well, one of the most beautiful and vibrant districts in the entire country, from Malibu down to uh, Palos Verdes, yes. the California coast. It's an amazing district. I'm honored to represent the 33rd Congressional District in Southern California. And you had some great people representing that. I mean, that was part of Henry Waxman's district yes. at one time. Correct. So you've Henry got Beverly Waxman. Hills. West, West L.A. West Hollywood? Or? Uh, I used to have West Hollywood. After okay. redistricting, they took yeah. it out. So West L.A., Beverly Hills. Brentwood, Santa Monica, Venice. It's it's a great place. Yeah, what's wrong with yeah. that, huh? Yeah, but I'm thinking Henry Waxman, um, maybe part of that district was... Um, Jane uh, Harmon had the southern Jane part. Jane Harmon had the Correct. southern part. Mel Devine yeah. back in yes, the days. that's yeah. right. He did. Howard Berman a little bit for a while, maybe. Uh, he, he, was, he was a neighbor to the district. He, yeah, right. So you've got yeah, there's a big shoes to fill there, Congressman. Absolutely. Right. All right. I know that the House, as a member of the House, you will not have a vote. But your reaction to President Trump's nominee of nomination of uh, um, Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court yesterday? How would you vote if you had one? No, I would also say we shouldn't have any confirmation hearings because the Republicans had said we shouldn't do any hearings and let the people decide, and we should wait for the next election. We should apply the same standard, wait for the next election, and then we can hold the hearings. So that would be my view. Did, I don't know whether you heard. We just played a little while ago. I can't resist playing it again. So this was, but this is what Mitch McConnell's advice to Democrats was uh, yesterday. Congress, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. 
what I would expect from our Democratic friends is the nominee be handled similarly to President Clinton's two nominees in his first term and President Obama's two nominees in his first term. Uh, he's sort of forgetting something, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing the hypocrisy that you see coming out of the GOP. And I think we should afford uh, Judge Gorsuch the same fair treatment that the Senate gave to Judge Garland. N- uh, never had a vote, That's never right. had a hearing. Correct. Some of them wouldn't even meet with him in private in their office. That's right? correct. And, not, and just on a substance of it, uh, Judge Gorsuch is a very, very conservative justice. He models himself after Justice Scalia, who I viewed as extreme. And here again, you've got President Trump, who lost the popular vote, trying to impose the will of the minority upon the majority through his extreme actions. And I believe you're seeing a reaction to uh, what Trump's doing. That's why he has the lowest approval rating in history of any president in the first week in office. Yeah. Started off with 40. It went down to 36. And uh, and it's just that, that right. it's not going back up, right? right. That's a direction. Yeah. If he drops going. anymore, it'll just be his family members and friends that like him. <laughs> now, speaking of extreme actions, we've seen a lot of them uh, in this uh, in this first 10 days, none more so than his uh, immigration order, which he himself, Congressman, as you know, we in the media get attacked for calling it a ban. He himself calls it a Muslim ban, ban on Muslims. Um, and um, I know there's be some effort in Congress to overturn that. Senator Feinstein has introduced legislation. But your your take, given the district yes. that you represent. Uh, I'm uh, co-authoring legislation along with Representative Zoe Lofgren, as well as virtually all the members of uh, the Democratic House to overturn the ban. Uh, it is a Muslim ban. Uh, what the ban does is it takes Muslim-majority countries, seven of them, and says, we're going to ban you, and then it gives priority to Christians. So when you look at that, that's essentially a Muslim ban. And it's so factually untethered to the truth, right? If you look at the number of refugees from these seven countries that have killed any Americans on U.S. soil and terrorist attack, that number is zero. The Libertarian Cato Institute uh, did a large study showing your chances of dying from any refugee anywhere doing an attack on you in the U.S. was about 1 in 3.6 million. The chances of getting hit by lightning is 1 in 700,000. So you've got this monumental waste of federal resources to do this extreme vetting for a problem that doesn't exist. And what that tells me then is it's just based on bigotry. Can I ask you a question? Because you, on, on the uh, sort of litany of lies and the threat to the republic, uh, Modell on Twitter just tweeted us at BP Show, where you can tweet us on any topic at any time. Uh, says, please ask Congressman Lou, what will it take for an impeachment bill to be filed? What is it that's going to be enough of a violation for impeachment uh, to be brought up? And, uh, various media Articles have reported that the FBI and other agencies are looking at collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Uh, If, in fact, that did occur, depending on how high up it went and what Donald Trump knew and when he knew it, if those things came out, uh, then I think that uh, could result in impeachment proceedings. In addition, right now Republicans control the House, so it's very hard to do anything. Uh, But... In less than 22 months, 
Americans get to vote again across this country for Congress. They can change the makeup of Congress. And if they want to stop Trump's agenda, I hope they do that in less than 22 months. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Yep, so now we know uh, Donald Trump's choice for the Supreme Court. From Denver, Neil Gorsuch, a federal judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals and one of the most conservative judges on the entire federal bench. Yes, if Donald Trump was looking for somebody as conservative as Antonin Scalia to replace him, he's got him. Gorsuch is a so-called originalist, which means that, like Scalia, he believes the Constitution is a dead document limited to the words and the times of the Founding Fathers. Ridiculous theory. And as a federal judge, he's already left clues of how he would rule as a justice of the Supreme Court. He's strongly opposed to a woman's reproductive rights, guaranteed to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. He defended Hobby Lobby's right to deny coverage for contraception to their female employees under Obamacare. He's one of the leading opponents of physician-assisted suicide, which Colorado voters approved last year by initiative. Confirming Gorsuch, in other words, would be like digging up Antonin Scalia's body and putting him back on the court, which is just what Republicans want, of course, but which Democrats should never allow. Under Senate rules, 60 votes will be needed to confirm Neil Gorsuch, which means that if Republicans all hang together, which they will, they're still going to need at least eight Democratic votes. And how many Democratic votes should Gorsuch get? Not a one, not one single vote for two reasons. First, as payback for Merrick Garland, since Republicans wouldn't even give him a hearing, Democrats shouldn't give Neil Gorsuch even a vote. And two, because at the age of 49, Gorsuch could turn this court in an extreme right wing direction for the next 50 years. Yep. This is a time when Democrats have to hang together. Not one single vote for Donald Trump, not one single vote, not one single Democratic vote for Neil Gorsuch. This is The Bill Press Show.